The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. It's time for your weekly trip around the bases with your hometown team. It's Inside Twins, where we dive into the minds of the guys in charge for insight, information, and analysis. Inside Twins is brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Here's your host of Inside Twins, Corey Provis. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Inside Twins, brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. A lovely Sunday here at the ballpark in downtown Minneapolis. Twins and the Rays wrapping up this three-game series. The rubber game, in fact, today. Rays winning on Friday. Twins prevailing 5-3 yesterday, setting up this one today between Kyle Gibson and Alex Cobb. I'm Corey Provis. We thank you for tuning in. You can reach us in two ways via email. Inside Twins at TwinsBaseball.com or on Twitter, hashtag Inside Twins. And our Sunday program features today the Twins Chief Baseball Officer. Always great to chat with Derek Falvey. How are you? Good, good, Corey. Thanks for having me. Nice to be with you again on this Sunday. And uh, you now the team coming off a great road trip, sweeping that series in Baltimore, coming home the off day Thursday. The Rays are playing well, and they may be playing the toughest division in baseball right now. Yeah, and I think the first pitcher we ran into here, he's about as good as they come in the game. I mean, Chris Archer's a, a great young arm, uh, a, a great guy to be at the forefront of baseball right now. And, and so we, we battled them. I, I think, you know, you go down 4 nothing in a game like that, and you can sometimes see, okay, this is going to be tough against an ace of another team. Our guys fought and gave us a chance in both the eighth and ninth innings, so I'm proud of that. And then yesterday the team comes back, and Alberto Mejia went five innings, and then Brian Dozier delivered in, in such a big spot. And it's been odd to, to look at the numbers, how Brian has struggled with men on base and men in scoring position, but then came through in the biggest way possible yesterday. Yeah, I think when you look at those uh, those split stats and you look at how a guy's performing, men on base, men not on base, you tend to see those things kind of normalize over time. I don't think it's anything Brian's doing differently uh, with runners on. I think that's going to be something he'll have a chance to drive in runs. And, and if he's up there with runners on in a big spot, I feel pretty good about that. You know, speaking of stats, even going back to Wednesday, and it had to be more than just reverse splits with the decision, and, and Paul touched on this on Friday, to have Rodgers pitch there in the eighth inning with the slew of right-handed batters coming up. It was more than just you know lefty against righty. Other factors played into that, right? Sure. I think one of the things that everyone talks about is the left-right split, but there's a lot more that you can look into in a pitcher-batter matchup that tells you some... Uh, tells you some things that could uh, could be an advantage for the pitcher. So how a guy uses his mix, what pitches he has, how a guy's swing plays or otherwise. And that's the next-level analysis that Paul and Jeff Pickler and some of our advanced team and Neil Allen and others are talking about when they're when they're making a decision with that matchup. Who's providing that, that analysis? Who's going that in-depth to give Paul and the staff those numerical options? I, I, I genuinely, it's a team. I, I think we have some new systems in place that help us provide – uh, the staff with some uh, some data and some heat maps and some other information that they can then drill deep. And then on top of that, you've got Neil Allen, Eddie Guardado talking with Jeff Pickler, Jeremy Hefner, and some of the guys in our office to really drill as deep as possible to give us every competitive advantage we can find. Because this game, every other team is trying to do that too. And you're trying to find that small slice that puts you in a good place. We're doing that now, and I feel like it's really made an impact. You know, these new systems that, that may be new at least here, did you bring those with you from Cleveland, or are these something? Are these things that you have come up with 
in your time and now developing for the first time at the big league level here? It's been great. It's a, it's a blend of, because we have some people, so for me from Cleveland, Thad from Texas, and then you have guys like Jeff Pickler who was in the Los Angeles Dodgers system for a little while, previously to, previous to that in San Diego and Arizona. We've been able to blend a lot of different bits of information here uh, to come up with uh, something that really works well. Jason Castro is another meaningful input in that conversation because he's talked about how he prepared before when he was in Houston. So we want to take the best from all potential sources of information, blend it together. So I, I feel confident that we have it in a good place now, but we constantly are challenging so ourselves to make it better. Now we'll take our first break. Much more to come on Inside Twins brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Twins and the Rays, Gibson for the Twins, and Alex Cobb opposing for Tampa Bay. More with Derek Falvey next at your home for Twins baseball. Welcome back. Inside Twins rolls on. Twins and the Rays. Corey Provis alongside Derek Falvey. And uh, I, I think about this Tampa Bay team, and Kevin Cash comes to mind. And you had to play a role. when Because I, I love this story. When Kevin Cash interviewed for the managerial opening with Tampa Bay, he was the bullpen coach in Cleveland. You were in Cleveland. And there was a great detailed story about everybody in the Indians organization getting together and, and preparing Kevin Cash for his interview for the job, and he eventually got that with the Rays. What, what role did you have? You know, I, it speaks first to how special the environment that Mark Shapiro, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, and Terry Francona created. Because while we knew it would be incredibly painful to lose Kevin Cash in that moment, we were proud of him, you know, that he had an opportunity to interview for a couple of jobs. And so uh, what we did was we talked to him about putting him in the best position to be successful when he went into that interview. And the best way to do that is practice, you know, get in, get in the moment. And so we prepared a mock interview where we went through, uh, I remember Chris, Mike, and I sitting in a room. He came in all suited up and as if he was sitting in the room with the, with the general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, and he, we worked through some questions, and he would answer them as honestly, as directly as possible, and then afterwards he would ask for feedback on his answer and just how well he articulated it. He wasn't looking to find out what's the right answer, you know, quote-unquote. He just he wanted to make sure that he was articulating what he honestly felt, and we helped him with that. How, how did you prepare him for the unknown with the Rays and their stadium situation that still – an ongoing political hurdle down there. You know, I don't know that we got too much into that type of detail, mostly because, you know, for him, what you can control the controllables. I always use that phrase with, with some different people in, in our business here, is that you know, there are things that are within your control and things that are within, outside of your control. If you focus on what you can control each and every day, and in the manager's seat, it's, it's different from that stadium situation, uh, you, you will excel. And, and he does such a good job of building culture. And people love to connect with him. They love to chat with him, whether it's a friend or a long, long-time baseball guy. I mean, he's just he's so easy to talk to, and I think that's that's served them very well down there. I know they're really happy with the choice. And Francona has some fun with him too. I guess when the Rays were just in Cleveland, they put up a big, you know, statistical bio of, of his hitting numbers lifetime while the Rays were taking BP. You know, Tito Tito <laughs> uses a line. I'll, I'll steal this from him. He says, you know, we we want to take what we do seriously, but we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. And, and that's a great example. Of that that when the game is on we have to play and that's the time to be really serious but poking fun every once in a while that's that's part of the uh, culture element prepping him and maybe others for other jobs did that in some ways organically help you 
prepare for this job. Absolutely. I think anytime uh, you can go in and teach somebody something else, you know, in, in order to teach, you need to fully understand something deeply. And I felt like I could help him with the, the, the development of his own process and preparing for the interview. But I will then say that when I got, I was very fortunate to get the opportunity to interview here in Minnesota that the Indians organization did the same thing for me. They were willing to push me hard on difficult questions and, and challenge me, and you have to be open to that. You have to be open to feedback and, and criticism and, and development conversations, and that's what's unique about that place and, and something I'm hoping I'm, I'm bringing here to Minnesota. Uh, back here today, Kyle Gibson on the mound. Uh, he, he'll make his second start after coming back from, from AAA uh, any any progress with Kyle from his most recent start in Baltimore? Uh, yeah, Kyle's you know he knows what he needs to focus on. He knows attacking the zone is important. Uh, he has very clear goals in mind for himself, and it's it's never a question of work ethic with Kyle. He he cares very deeply about the work he does, and he and Neil and Eddie in particular have worked in his side session to continue that focus uh, to be aggressive and. We're hopeful that we see more of that moving forward. We saw some of that the other night in Baltimore. That's a tough lineup to get through. He'll face another tough lineup today. So we've got to just continue to build upon the small gains that he's made and, again, get back to giving him direct and honest feedback where we think he can continue to grow. Struggling with the first pitch strike, is that a physical setback or mental? It's a combination probably. For for some pitchers, it's a, it might be a bit more physical. And, and in most cases, though, I would say maybe a bit more mental. You know, that, that – need to feel like you've got to get ahead on that pitch and, and knowing the resulting outcomes of those at-bats. you got to, you got to get past that, though. you got to control what you can in terms of how you attack the plate and let everything else take care of itself. It's when you, you start to nibble off too often you know, and get yourself in bad counts. That's where you want to recenter and, and, and attack. And Kyle has the stuff. He has the ability. We all know that. So we just need to help him along and progress in that, in that direction. Right, we'll see how he fares today. Gibson for the Twins. Alex Cobb opposing for the Rays. Time for break. More to come inside Twins, brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field, with Derek Falvey next on your home for Twins baseball. Welcome back. Inside Twins continues. Twins and the Rays coming up at 110. This program until 1230. Chris has the pregame show, and then game three, Gibson and Cobb. Corey Provis back with Derek Falvey. And, and Derek, we have our first question from uh, Clinton in Eden Prairie. He is curious about the Twins' peak performance coach, and other teams have a similar body in a comparable role, but the impact that that individual has on players who are scuffling uh, with the mental side of their game. I, I think a peak performance coach uh, is something, as you said, a lot of teams have created a department uh, around high performance. And, and that, in my view, is a combination of what we do medically, what we do strength and conditioning, uh, in strength and conditioning, and what we do from the mental side of the game. That supports a lot of what we're doing on the fundamental side. And peak performance coaches, in, in our case, Dr. Rick Aberman, uh, who works with our guys, is, is someone who goes and tries to get each guy a routine, you know, a, a mental a mental routine, not unlike a hitting routine, not unlike what James Rousen is trying to do with a guy in terms of taking a ball you know, in the cage, what he's doing from his tee work to his short cage work or otherwise. Same thing. You want to be able to use the resources we have in techniques to center yourself when maybe, hey, there's a bad call or uh, you had a bad play or you made an error or you made a bad pitch. What are those techniques and otherwise to get you to put yourself back in the best mental position to be successful, just like we do on the physical side? And I would imagine, too, that there are some, some roadblocks that players maybe have to get over in this day and age, too, 
does Dr. Aberman approach the player, or does he want the player to seek him out first? You know, I, it's it's just like it's like coaching in every other domain. I think the important part is to have is to build a relationship, to build trust. You know, any player I've ever spoken with who's played at this level talks about the coaches that made the most impact on them. And when they talk about them, they don't talk about the specifics of the mechanics or what they say from an approach standpoint. They talk about how much they believed in them and how much that co- they, they felt that coach believed in him. And so what we want to do is make sure that relationships are, are being built and doors are open. And uh, in Dr. Abram's case, just like it is in, in Paul Molitor's case and Jeff Pickler's case and Eddie Guardado's case, that that relationship is being built uh, between player and coach. And we'll support players through that as we move forward and continue to enhance and build that department uh, as we move. Other things I wanted to bring up with you today, Irvin Santana and what he's doing this season. It's not just this season, though. It even goes back to, to the second half of last year. And Corey Kluber is is a name that comes to mind for me because when he was acquired in a trade as a prospect, he wasn't destined to be an ace. He became one. Can Irvin Santana, is he becoming one despite his age? Is he becoming that word? Every team doesn't have an ace. Every team has a number one, but maybe not an ace. But is Irvin now becoming an elite ace in the game today? I think he's what he's doing, and you pointed this out, this isn't just a stretch of 2017. He's done this back to really early in 2016, and he's had different junctures of his of his career where he's pitched like an ace. And I think what doesn't necessarily always show up in the stat line uh, is a guy's uh, ability to know where in the lineup he can be most effective. So I think what Irvin does so well is he knows where guys, you know, where he wants to maybe pitch around a guy to get to the next guy in the order, and sometimes that might increase his walk rate. But he knows that he has a plan going into each at-bat, and he and the catcher are on the same page. And because he can execute, and because, getting back to your previous question, he has such a great mental plan going into every game that whether he's 3-0 or 1-2, he knows exactly where he needs to be. And that's that's signs of a a really mature pitcher. And I think Irvin is showing that uh, we knew he was a leader. We knew he was a great guy. We know he's been around a long time and had a lot of success at the big league level. It's great to see a guy take a bit of a different step to reinvent later on in their career as he has. And, too, in this day and age when aces – also coincides with power, right? He's winning games. He's pitching deep into ball games, keeping his team in the game. He'll he'll have his strikeouts, but that's not his mo. He's not necessarily a strikeout pitcher. Yeah, I think you know the the inside baseball part of this that I love is I, I love watching guys like that pitch. You know who you can tell they have a very specific plan on how to attack an individual guy. It's not that we don't love strikeouts and like power that everyone has, but I think when you watch a guy like him, a, a guy like Kyle Hendricks comes to mind with mm-hmm. the Cubs. There are, there are certain pitchers who really they're thinking along with the hitter and they're trying to be one step ahead. I've had the chance to listen to some things from Greg Maddox over the course of his career, and he was always that way. So, And he's the elite of the elite. So it's just it's fun to watch guys like that as a pitching you know, mind, the way my mind works and the way I think about it, uh, I, I enjoy guys like Irvin and the way they go about the game. One more thought on pitching before our next break. Jose Brios just celebrated his 23rd, bird yesterday, uh, 23rd birthday yesterday. And going back to his last start, not as dominant as he was in his first two, but still maybe some maturation there, right, that he didn't have the best command, still into the seventh inning, struck out seven guys and got through it. Yeah, I, I think – you know, we've we've said this all along. He had those first two great starts. I mean, as good as they could possibly be. He goes into Baltimore. That's a tough park to pitch in with a really good lineup and maybe not quite as good as the first two. I will tell you that Jose will have a bad start somewhere along the way here. We all know that. Pitchers have, they struggle. And, and they every even the best of them have those games that don't go well. 
The challenge is making sure that he's consistent with that process, even when things don't go well. And that's that's what's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that we surround him with that right messages. Make sure that each day he's going about his work the same way. And whether he has a good game or a bad game, one thing I've seen from some of the best pitchers in, in baseball is they bounce right back and do the exact same routine the next time around. So he's he's maturing, and it's fun to see. And just turning 23 yesterday – I mean, the, the future is bright, and it's all in front of them. All right, we'll take our last break. We'll dive into the draft as we wrap up Inside Twins next on your home for Twins Baseball. Welcome back. Inside Twins brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. About three minutes left. Corey Provis alongside Derek Falvey. And let's leave the big league team alone for a moment here as we wrap up the show a little more than two weeks away from uh, from the amateur draft. Pros and cons to having the number one overall pick on June 12th. <laughs> a lot of pros. Hey, we get to pick from uh, the whole group and get to go first, so that's great. I, I think uh, this year, one of the things, I, I when I got into baseball, I, was, I started out on some of the scouting areas and really enjoy that. So this is about as fun a time of year for me as, as you can get when you're in that room the week leading up to the draft, talking about who might fit for us, why they might fit, what we know about the players. Not just the tools and ability, but the makeup and how they fit for us as an organization. So we're just we're just excited to get started. No cons. Do you have a, a day picked out, regardless of the name, when you know you'll be settled on, on on where you're going with that pick? We've been we've been very attentive to ensuring that our process is sound going into the draft. And what I mean by that is making sure that we don't rule anybody out you know, too early in the process. And I'm glad we have Sean Johnson. Uh, Mike Radcliffe, Darren Johnson, the whole group, they've done such a great job of making sure that we see as many players as possible and keeping them in the mix. So we are now going to go into that room, and and we know generally five to six players that we're probably talking about at that first pick. We want to make sure that we get into each detail with each player to make sure that we're not missing anything uh, as we go through. And I'm excited we're going to end up with a great player. I'm confident in that. As vital as that pick is, then you have picks 35 and 37. All the attention on number one. But 35 and 37, big picks as well, right? Absolutely. I, the way I look at the draft, and, and you're right, I mean, I get why number one is the focus. But as soon as we make pick number one, the moment that ends, we're not going to sit back. We're now focused on who do we get at 35 and 37, and then the subsequent picks. Because there's value throughout the draft. As you can see, we've got guys all over our, our field here that um, you know, weren't necessarily first-round picks. So we want to make sure that we are attentive to getting the best possible player at every pick moving forward, whether it's high school, college, positional player, or pitcher. We want to build one of the most robust farm systems in baseball because that's what leads to sustainable su- success. You know, Speaking of the guys out there now, you've got some young offensive team controlled players does that impact where you go with that first pick trying to coincide their peak and their value with what you might select on june 12th i try and stay away from that because the reality is while in maybe football or basketball or some of the other sports you see a lot of those picks show up in the big leagues the following year uh, even the best of our players in our sport still takes you know three to four years for most of those guys to get to the major league level and even when they do they're not quite you know ready yet or mature mature enough to be the player they're going to be the long, in the long term so I think you can uh, you can sometimes be short-sighted about looking at your major league team needs now and making draft picks based on that so we're just going to select the best possible player doesn't matter the position always appreciate the time thanks for stopping by thanks for having me Corey. Uh, we thank Derek Falvey for his time here today don't go anywhere more to come on this Memorial Day weekend Chris and the pregame show following this then we'll have game three at 110 the twins and the Rays Gibson and Cobb we thank you for listening I'm Corey Provis more to come right here on your home for Minnesota Twins baseball stay tuned everybody <laughs>